0: This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as F.A. F.A. is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one F.A. member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent F.A. as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about F.A., we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the F.A. program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. Hello, welcome to this qualification meeting. I am a food addict from California, and I'm your leader for this hour. After a moment of silence, will you please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. So I am so grateful to be alive in this body this day. Um, I had the honor of eating breakfast with someone yesterday who reminded me how to remember what it was like and why I'm here and so I spent some time this morning in quiet time thinking about what brought me here to F.A. And I'm glad that I did, because after being here for about 14 and a half years, you just get used to being in a 120-pound body. You get used to having a job, being able to wake up in the morning, taking a shower, brushing your teeth, flossing your teeth, eating on time, getting along with people, loving your husband, Having your kids come to you. And that was not my story 14 and a half years when I came to FA. Um, so I just want to share a little bit of what it was like for me growing up. It was very high strung, very hyperactive, very nervous disposition, and I had a lot of fears. Um, I remember feeling as though I didn't fit in as early as five years old looking over my shoulder, wondering who was watching me, feeling as though everybody was watching me. And I kind of moved through my house, thinking and acting as though there were cameras in the walls, watching every move I made, waiting for me to make a mistake. My parents loved us very much, but they had, they had their issues. My father had OCD a very neat, compulsive type of OCD, and my mom was on the other end of the spectrum and was a hoarder. So my father had areas of the house that belonged to him, and then there was the rest of the house that was filled with piles and roaches and fleas and animals and dirty clothes and garbage. And um, I had a brother and sister, and we kind of walked the fine line of not making anyone angry and staying out of the way, which we did not do a very good job of, but... um, I just remember having a lot of anxiety growing up for a number of reasons. So, um, let's see. I think I started feeling as though I didn't quite fit in body-wise when I was an adolescent and hit puberty. My body started to fill out. I grew up in a very affluent suburb of New York City, And although we weren't affluent, many, many, many of the kids that I went to school with were. And so they had names like Biffy and Tippy and Boppy and Kitty, and they wore Brooks Brothers clothes and very preppy. Preppy was in when I was going to school. And we bought our clothes at Cal Doors, um, which isn't around anymore. But... um, always felt less than, the wrong kind of shoes, the wrong kind of clothing. And I think that's when I really started turning to food to feel better, because when I ate, I felt better. I liked having a, tum fully, a, a full tummy, and um, that warm feeling in my chest, and I liked feeling that little numbing glow that came over when I came home from school and was full of anxiety, and angry about what was going on, and I ate the food, and it calmed me down. Um, in middle school, I was probably about 130 pounds, so I'm 120 now. I was probably about 10 pounds more than I am now. So I still kind of fit in from the, to the outside world, but inside my mind, I didn't belong at all. Um, and the way that I compensated for that was to have a very tough exterior Um, Having my dukes up was my posture to life, and I kind of kept people at bay with my sarcastic tongue and my sharp wit, my aggressive mannerisms, and um, there definitely was a message there, stay away from me. But at the same time, I wanted friends. I wanted to be invited to parties. I wanted a boyfriend. I wanted people to know my name. And I couldn't get it, and the more I couldn't get it, the more I ate. The more I ate, the worse I felt, the worse I felt, the more aggressive I became. And so it was just a vicious cycle for me. It just does not fit in at all. Um, I was good at a couple things. I was really good at music, and I spoke Spanish, and I took French, so I was good at languages also. And um, the music helped me out a lot. To feel part of something because you sit in a band or an orchestra and you're part of an organization, part of a group. And um, I joined the Musicians Union when I was 13 years old and I was playing gigs with my dad. And I joined the Army when I was 17. I joined the Army to be in the Army band. I had been playing with the Army band since I was 13. And, um, and the military suited me really well. Very structured very disciplined, told you exactly where to be, when to be. you had twenty minutes to eat, and then you were done and um, there was rank and there were medals and there was um, ways to validate that I was okay on my uniform, but I really struggled to keep the weight off and there are weight limits in the military and that 's when I started dieting was when I had to keep my weight off i exercised compulsively. I would chew my food and spit it out into the garbage without swallowing it. Um, I took laxatives. I fasted. I ate diet food. And I tried a few diets out of books or magazines, or mostly just ones that I made up myself. But it was always a struggle. Um, I went to college on a military scholarship and had I was in the Army at the same time, and I had to keep my weight down, and that's when I started using drugs to keep my weight down. But it was a very fine line because they drug test you in the military. So I had, we knew when we were going to be weighed in and when the, when the drug tests were going to happen, so I had to be very, very careful um, to balance all of that out so I didn't get caught. And... Uh, I would use other things, too, like that, like um, cigarettes or alcohol, things that were legal um, I would use to try and keep my weight down. But I was definitely not normal around the food. It's almost as though at that point things got really, really bad really fast. I started eating out of the garbage. I would scrounge around late at night in my dorms to find scraps of food that were left over in the lounges, and I would eat them. Um, I didn't have a lot of money and so when I was walking in the streets if I found cigarettes that were half smoked I would pick them up and I would re-roll them into binder paper and hold it together with a paper clip because I had to have something to help me feel better. I would go out and drink what was left from other people's drinks if I couldn't afford to drink alcohol. Um, And pretty much there wasn't anything that was off-limits to me. And the funny thing is, is that I knew it wasn't normal to do that, but I didn't feel a lot of shame around it either. It's almost as though the desire to have those things overcame my sense of um, sensibility and right behavior, and there was part of me too that felt very resourceful at 2 o'clock in the morning collecting cans because it was recycling and I didn't see it as scroungy behavior at all. Now I do. Um, don't get me wrong, recycling's great, but um, I don't have to go out at 2 in the morning in the streets to dig out of garbage cans to get them. So I. Uh, Graduated college and was commissioned, came out here to California, and started working as, um, as a nurse in the, in the hospital here in San Francisco. And it wasn't very long before I was the fattest nurse at the hospital. I was squeezing myself into the biggest uniform that the Army made, and I felt shame about that every single day. And it wasn't a secret. Everybody else was clearly 20 or 30 pounds less than me. But I tried my best to pull it off with a very tough, competent, um, expert demeanor. So when I'm on the job, I know what I'm doing. I've got it together. I am in charge. And just stay out of my way, and everything will go fine. But inside, I was constantly looking over my shoulder always worried that I was making a mistake and feeling like like a fraud. And when I came here to California, I weighed about 140. Within five years, I was at my top weight of 225. In the military, 225. That's tough to do. They were looking to kick me out because I couldn't lose the weight, and my supervisors loved me. I mean, my boss for a, for a year would come to my house at 5 o'clock in the morning and get me to go running with her, and she lived about an hour away, so she would drive in just to get me to do exercise because she didn't want me to get kicked out. Most people didn't want me to get kicked out, but I couldn't do it for myself, and they couldn't do it for me. So I saw the writing on the wall, and I, I um, vacated my appointment, resigned my commission, and left the military, uh, My husband and I bought a little house in a nearby community and I was going to start all over. We had had our first child by then and I had dreams of the white picket fence and sitting at the table uh, doing homework and doing the scouts and youth group and all that stuff and life was going to be beautiful because the reason why I was overweight was because the military was so structured that if I could just accept myself for how I was then I would be okay. and I wish I could say that I maintained for a while, but my life got even worse even faster. I had two more children, and by the time I was 35, I was absolutely crazy, miserable, suicidal. My house was filthy. My husband had threatened to divorce me. My children, who were 7, 5, and 3 at the time, were terrified of me. Um, I yelled all the time. I threw things at walls. It got really bad because I started drinking by myself at night. And the food had stopped working for me. I couldn't get any relief from eating, and so I started drinking. And I couldn't get any relief from drinking. And that was really, really scary. I started struggling to make it through the day. And with my kids, I would put them in front of the TV and put a movie in. And if any of them asked me for anything at all, I felt overwhelmed if they cried, if they were unhappy, if they were bored. I couldn't cope with it. I felt as though I had failed them so miserably and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to make them happy, and that's all I really wanted because I loved my family very much. I just couldn't show it. And I was eating and eating and eating. I had lost my ability to work because I made a couple mistakes on the job, and it scared me so much. By that time, I was working in in a local um, um, emergency. I worked in emergency rooms. That's my my background, and and I had made a couple minor mistakes that didn't have an impact on patient care at all. But it scared me enough that I quit my job knowing that more mistakes would follow. And uh, so we didn't have a lot of money. And what money we did have, I spent on food. And I had a great deal of shame and embarrassment about doing that because my husband worked very hard, works very hard, 12-hour days sometimes to support us. And I knew what I was doing was selfish, and wrong, but I couldn't stop. So I was a hot mess. and um, what really scared me was probably about six months before I came into program, um, my father passed away, and that kind of pushed me over the edge. And when my kids needed things from me or when they were fighting, I'd get really angry and I was afraid that I was going to hurt them. So I'd lock myself up in the bathroom, and I'd poke myself with forks, pull my hair, bite my tongue, hit my head with books. And I was hurting myself. And it was very, very scary. But somewhere deep down inside, there was this idea that things could be better. And so one one morning I was sitting in my room. I had locked myself in my room because I was feeling overwhelmed, and I had a half gallon of something I was eating with this big, huge serving spoon. And the TV evangelist was on the TV loud. When I ate, I had to have the TV on loud. I don't know why. I don't know if anyone else has experienced that. But I had the TV on, and this preacher was saying, if you find God, he'll take care of you or something like that. So I got on my knees, and I said, God, help me. And I got up, and I don't remember whether I finished what I was eating or not. I probably did. And, and um, it was about a couple weeks later that someone told me about F.A. And I was amazed that anyone could not eat flour and sugar. I was dumbfounded that people could weigh and measure three meals a day and not eat anything in between. I couldn't believe it. I, and I barely believed that it could possibly be true for me. It took me a couple weeks to get to a meeting. So I went with my friend, terrified. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know anything about 12-step recovery. But somewhere in my mind, I had already made the decision that I was going to do it. So I asked her on the way in, you know, what do I do? And she said, well, if, if you want to start, you need to find a sponsor. And I remember sitting in that meeting and not understanding a word of what was being said. Um, but at the end of the meeting, I walked down that aisle to a man who was sitting in the front row, blubbering the whole way, saying, I need help. Got the meal plan, and I started the next day. And at the end of that day, I went to bed, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm abstinent. And... um I remember having a conversation with my husband, who and and telling him, you know, I don't know what they're going to ask me to do. I don't know what this means, but I think this is going to work for me, and I'm really going to need your help. And my husband, who loved me very much, said that he would do what he could to support me. And um, and I'd like to say that early recovery was all a pink cloud. The pink cloud lasted about the first month or two. So the first month I lost 24 pounds. And then I found out that I was weighing my food wrong. So after that, the weight loss was a little bit slower. I lost 100 pounds in about eight and a half months. And by the grace of God, I've kept it off now for almost 14 years. And that is the least of the miracles that have come to me in this program. Because I'm not standing in front of you with my hair buzzed short in an army jacket with my dukes up and my army boots on. We're ready for a fight. You know? I, um, I feel comfortable in my skin today most of the time. And I have a good relationship with my husband. My house is clean. We're not in debt. My kids aren't afraid of me. And... Um, Life is really good. But it was hard in the beginning. It was hard to learn how to use the tools and to pick up that phone. That was probably the hardest thing for me, was to pick up the phone and call people that I didn't know. See, coming into program, I had one friend, the one friend that brought me into program. She's the only person I really talked to. And um, it's so interesting. You know, so I think it's sad sometimes when the people who bring us into program aren't able to make it themselves. So that angel that brought me into FA was able to lose her weight, and then she went out, and then she never got it back, and she just disappeared. And I will forever be grateful to her, to God, for bringing me the message through her. And, um, you know, you never really know the impact that you have on other people especially when we've been thin for so long. We just kind of move through our day, and someone asks us for help. We can share the message of FA, not really knowing if it's going to stick or not, but we plant the seeds, and you know, I hope that someone that I've met has benefited by um, even a passing conversation that I have with them, just like that woman did for me. So um, let's see the tools. The phone was difficult for me to pick up, so I'd start at the top of the phone list and make my way all the way down. Um, It was helpful for me to think of the tools as non-negotiables. My sponsor told me, you need to use the tools if you want to stay abstinent. I didn't hear the if you want to stay abstinent part. All I heard was, you have to use your tools. And coming from the military, I can take orders. And I like the black and white of knowing exactly what I need to do. See, I'm the kind of person that if I have choice and I can do what I want to do, I'm probably not going to make very good decisions. Um, That's less true now than it used to be. But I heard, this is what you have to do have to make three calls a day, okay? You have to sit quietly for 30 minutes and do quiet time. That was a struggle for me to keep my mind quiet, but I sat down in the chair anyway, my mind racing, thinking about my day, thinking about my past, thinking about my future, but I had my butt in the chair, and I was taking my quiet time. And over a period of time, my thinking started to settle down, and I was able to feel refreshed after quiet time. It took a long time, though. Um, going to meetings on time wasn't a problem for me. I liked to get there early so that I could be the one to help set up the literature. It was really difficult for me to interact with people. But if I had a job to do, I was great. If I had um, pamphlets to straighten out or chairs to set up, I was just good to go. So I made my job setting up chairs. And our meetings were on floors with tiles on them, and I would set the chairs in a grid pattern along with the tiles, and everything was really perfect. And it made me feel good, like I was really contributing something to the meeting because the chairs looked perfect. And um, it was hard for me to stand up and read at the front of the room. I'd have the, the, the paper in front of me, and it would be shaking so much, and I was embarrassed because I couldn't keep the paper still, but I read it anyway. And I, I, what I found is that I had a lot of fear showing up and doing the things that program um, asks us to do. But deep down inside, there was that power. There was that God sense that gave me the courage to do it anyway. And it helped me. It served me well. For about the first six months or so, I felt like my life was changing. My weight was coming off, but I also felt angrier and angrier and angrier. And I didn't know it at the time, but what was happening was my feelings were coming up. And I struggled to take care I struggled to know how to take care of those feelings. And thank goodness for AWOL. So getting into AWOL, um, a way of life, the study of the twelve steps, I started to learn what it meant to be an addict and what it meant to think like an addict and what the solution was. And so during my first fourth step inventory, I talked a lot about the anger that I had and all the resentments that I had. And I learned through that step that I can't afford to have any resentment towards anyone and I can't live with anger. So... Um, I had to talk to my sponsor and learn ways of letting go of that anger. So interesting that when I went around to make my amends to the people that I had hurt in the past, that a lot of my anger melted away because I had an opportunity to see what my part was in it. And in um, making amends to other people, it was an opportunity for me to see that they didn't think about me the way that I thought they thought about me. And so a lot of the anger I had went away you see. So my life today. Okay. My life today. Well, I have a job that I love. I'm not in the emergency anymore, emergency room anymore. I am a school nurse and I promise you all that I don't shout the numbers from across the room away. Second graders, I, um, What I loved about the emergency room was very impersonal. A body comes in, you do some stuff, and the body goes out, either to the hospital, to the home, or otherwise. And so I didn't have to really engage with people that I worked with too much. But as a school nurse, I'm not doing all those tasks. I get down on the kids' level. If they're feeling scared, I get to talk to them. I get to use what what I'm learning in F.A., to help the people that I work with. I work with parents, and um, if they're scared or if they need information, I get to know them. I get to know their families and what they need and how to help them. And it makes me feel good now to be able to talk to people, although I still have some social anxiety. it goes. It's going away little by little. Um, my kids, well, we've had a bunch of challenges with health the health of certain family members in the last few years. And um, my kids have started to rely on me more and more as a confidant, as a support, and to help to take care of them. And I think of all the blessings that I've gotten in FA. The relationship that I have with my family is by far the one that I'm the most grateful for you know when my daughter when we when my daughter was growing up she started saying at 2 years old that um she wanted to go back to the orphanage that she wanted to live with another family and it was about that time that she stopped hugging me and that she, when i went to hug her or kiss her she would get very stiff and um that hurt a lot, and I didn't know how to how to work through that. But recovery has softened my my personality so much that now I'm approachable to my kids. And my daughter hugs me and lets me kiss her, and she works and helps me, and um, we have a great relationship now. She's she's 19, and. That is That, by far, is one of the things that I'm most proud of, is that I have good relationships with my kids and with my husband. Um, He's such a hard worker, and he gives me everything that I want. And I was sitting in quiet time thinking, you know, why does my husband give me everything I want? And I started seeing things come to me of how I'm showing up so much differently than I did before. And... Everyone in my life benefits from me being in, in recovery, my family, my co-workers, um, the people I meet, and hopefully the people that I meet in F.A. I really love this life, and I'm glad that I didn't miss it. You know, in the big book it says, we know you, you won't want to miss this. And, and I didn't even know what I was missing before I came, but I know for now I... I don't want to miss any more that might be coming to me. Life keeps getting better and better. And I used to think that before I came into FA, I used to think that my best years were behind me, but now I'm realizing that my best years are yet to come and I'm really looking forward to them. I'm so grateful for you listening to my story and I hope that um, I've said something that can help someone else. Thank you. Okay, will you please join me in a moment of silence and the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.